Hi, and welcome to this episode of Our Guest Is, presented by My East Coast Experience Media in partnership with RBC. I'm Natalie Fournier. Our Guest Is introduces us to a resilient group of people, typically called immigrants, but perhaps better described as entrepreneurs, community builders, and survivors. In each episode, we'll be hearing all about their journeys to Canada's East Coast in their own words. Today, our guest is Christine Uroku. Hi, Christine. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Natalie, and thanks for having me. So you're originally from Nigeria, and you moved to St. John in New, uh, New Brunswick as an international student, and you earned your MBA from the University of New Brunswick. Christine launched her own business, Kema Designs. Am I saying that correctly? Kema? Kaima. Kaima. Thank you. Christine launched her own business, Kaima Designs, in 2017 and also co-founded United Colors of Fashion. She sits on the board of three nonprofits in St. John and is a mentor for international students. Christine was recognized as well as one of the most inspiring immigrants in Atlantic Canada in 2023. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Natalie. So, Christine, I guess we'll get started uh, f- just f- for you telling us about your journey to Atlantic Canada. All right. Well, um, that was like how many years ago now? So <laughs> that, I think my journey to Canada all began in 2014 when I got my admission to study the MBA program at the um, University of New Brunswick. And then I came down here alone and my husband and um, my three daughters joined me afterwards. And um, we've since met St. John, our home. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting journey because, well, one of the first things we realized is like education in Canada is far different from what we back home you know here it's more practical and um, most times we tell people that one of the essential part of education here is that you're made to do presentations in almost every class mm. however back home it's different we like we, we take our time usually presentations are usually at the end of the session end of the class so again it was a new environment new learning opportunity and um, one big opportunity to change um, the trajectory of my career and so it was an interesting journey coming down here and as you said, you came to St. John to study. What was that transition like for you, you know, coming from West Africa to Eastern Canada, you know, totally different sides of the world, but then also just being, uh, you know, a new Canadian, someone new to the St. John area and to Canada? You know, to respond to that, I just want to use this um, story. I don't know if you remember, uh, well, I think everyone would. So the Snowmageddon in 2014. So Prior to coming to Canada, I had never seen snow and I was like, wow, I just want to see snow. Mm -hmm. And then God heard my prayers. And then that was the year, excuse me, that was the year we had this new magazine when in 2014, it snowed like it hadn't in over 50 years. Oh, and after that's a nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Here you go, Christine. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I was like, so it's like after the first week of winter, I was like, okay, well, I think I get it now. I've seen snow. I've seen more than enough. It's like I, I, I summered and I bargained for. And then, and so having lived here seven, eight years after, when people tell me, like, oh, what do you think about the snow in Canada? I was like, so I've seen the worst of them all. And so I'm not even scared anymore, but I'm still not used to the winter. I'm, I'm never, I, I don't think I'll ever be <laughs> used to the snow. Yeah. But, you know, so besides that, so when it comes to the living, um, living in St. John and all that, I think what really made the transition a lot easier was like anyone who knows St. John knows that it's a very warm, welcoming city. People are just generally nice and um, welcoming. So you come into a place, people are very quick to respond to 
questions and i remember i i still remember you know walking down the streets looking up the signs looking for some people would just walk up to me like how may i help you wow. um where are you going you know and i'm just like well i'm trying and i just show them I always have the addresses on my my um telephone set up so i didn't have wi-fi on my phone i decided i didn't have my data on my phone so working on i couldn't use the gps right so i always had the address i'm like okay just follow this direction and things like that so it was really a struggle you know until i got my phone and that's one of my biggest challenges when i came to canada i found out that there is so there, there are many things that were, were really like i'm great but when it comes to telephone service i must say it's just not as great as we have it back home in africa and i, and I don't say that you know, without, um, not because my husband used to work with one of the telecoms company back home, but telecoms in Africa is different. You want a phone line, you walk into a store, you get it today, right now. You didn't have to go wow. home and wait for anything. Mm-hmm. Then it was difficult if you didn't have, if you didn't have um, a local ID. I mean, like for, I tried to get a phone line. It took me about two weeks to get a phone line. Wow. As an international student, because every time I had to go with appointment, I had to go to, and then my classes, it was during the orientation period. My classes, um, I didn't really have the time to go to, then it was like McAllister Mall to go get it because it was the orientation period, like back-to-back classes and stuff like that. So every time I wanted to, there was always something coming up. I was trying to sort myself with accommodation, trying to, so it was just crazy. So I couldn't really settle. And then usually at my, I, I had to wait until I got home at night when I would use my Wi-Fi to be able to connect with my family. And then the time zone, which was about three, four hours difference then yeah. didn't even help. So by the time I was getting home, they were already asleep. So it was a big struggle for me adapting within the first two, three weeks. But overall, you know, it paid off. So you literally were disconnected, really. I mean, you had That's no word, phone. Yes. Um and you and then with the time difference and trying to just connect with your family and say you know just a simple hey I'm okay or how's it going I miss you that must have been pretty tough yeah yeah it was and you're you know you're definitely not the first person to complain about Canadian cell phones let me tell you <laughs> what is going that. on why can't we you know have more competition and you know and and to know that it and if it still is like this because that was only you know 2014 2017 if it hasn't really changed, um, maybe we're doing a disservice. The telecommunications companies are doing a disservice to immigrants, to people who are moving here to feel more connected and and have that transition be as easy as possible. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Because even at then, it was even it was even a lot. It, it was far cheaper for my families to call me from Nigeria, wow. you know, or Ivory Coast, than me calling them. I couldn't even afford to call them. Yeah, but it could call is then so, and that's why. If, for most international students, we're super grateful to apps like WhatsApp and um, mm. Facebook messengers because those are lifesavers. Yeah. Your business, Kaima Designs, is an African-inspired clothing brand. And um, I know, I guess, people who are listening, uh, watching this podcast can't see, but I know you're wearing a hoodie from from your shop, I noticed. <laughs> it's very beautiful. That's right. And you've got the Thank stacks you. of clothes uh, behind you there. Um, when you started your business, what did you hope it would bring to the St. John community? Thank you very much. I I get a question all the time. And so what I would say, I'll, I would answer that in two ways. So the first one was when I graduated from the program, from the Master's of Business Administration. I thought to myself that it would be a great disservice to myself if I had a business program and never had a business, mm. you know, to put everything I learned to practice. That was on one side. And then secondly, 
when I came for the program, I loved to wear a lot of my African print designs, right? And um, people would ask me, well, that's beautiful, but, you know, well, we can get them around here. I was like, yeah, well, I got this from home. And just like most most African students do that, you know, um, we have uh, colorful blazers and stuff like that that, that we we'll always love to showcase. Mm-hmm. And so when I finished the program, I wanted to, so because of the feedback and um, the comments, you know, that I got from the, from my outfit and I decided that if I wanted to do a business, it had to be one that would help me share my African heritage, something that would help promote my story. Mm. Yeah, because like everyone has a story. And then I wanted, I was looking for an outlet to share my own African story without, and 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 then to do it differently. And so that was one of the reasons I did. But above all, you know, prior to coming to Canada, I had, I had a, um, I had a chance encounter, you know, with the nonprofits that I had worked with back home in Nigeria. And um, during one of our outreach programs, we had gone to a school and donated um, school uniforms to a school to, it was like in, in the priority neighborhood. And so after the donation, there was this particular, like, I, I just, I can't forget her face, you know. Mm. She, always looked, she always looked very sad, very disturbed and all that. But for the first time in the two months that were in the school, I saw her smile after she received the uniform. I'm like, mm-hmm. I never thought I could see the day she would smile. But when I saw that, when I saw the impact that the school uniform and the school um, sandals, as we call them, made on her, I decided this is something I will do if I ever start a business of my own. So when I decided to launch Climate Designs, I wanted to launch a business that had a purpose, not just a business. And so with that... Um, when Climate Designs was created, it had I had to incorporate in the model the uniform campaign project. So for every outfit that is sold, $50 and above, a girl in West Africa gets a school uniform. And so that's part of the business model. So as long as Climate, climate Designs is in existence, as long as we're selling items, you know, $50 and above, then a girl is guaranteed to get a school uniform. Because if I could create that impact just on one girl's face, then many other girls like her in that situation who could benefit from that and whose lives could just... Sometimes it's not the big things that make the big difference. Sometimes very little things make huge impact in people's lives. And so when I found out something as little as uniform, you know, could make such a huge impact in a girl's life, I knew it was something I wanted to do. And so during the pandemic, most businesses were impacted. And of course, mine wasn't an exception. So I, I had wanted to, at some point, you know, when you have those conversations with yourself, like, I just have to, you know, this is, it's time to shut the doors because my supply chain was greatly impacted. I couldn't, I, I had my designs, but every time I send them back home to my seamstress in Nigeria to create them and all that, getting them back was an issue because now the costs were like, you know, crazy. Yeah. And then the time, and you know, I was like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Plus I had full-time, I had a full-time job. And so I decided to um, end the business. But I couldn't sleep at night because I just kept seeing the girl's face, mm-hmm. which was, you know, her face was a symbol of the girls who needed that service. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't sleep. Every time I thought about it, I was like, so if I had to end this business, then many, many girls in the situations would have to either be without uniforms, be forced to drop out of school. So I couldn't bear that. And I had to just like reinvent the business in a way that I had to produce my, um, 
you know, I had to continue the business by by producing them locally. And then I wanted to do it in a smart way as well, in a way that it could impact my my community and my community in Africa as well. And so what I did was to create the Jeddah hoodie and that turned things around. And so I wanted to work with a partner who was active in the community. And so the the partner that created the design is a is actually is also a non it's a nonprofit that supports the employment of um, Canadians living with disabilities. So here, this is a business that is supporting their own vision and mission. And then this is a business that is support, that's supporting the purpose back home for me. So it's a win-win situation when I look at it. And that's one of the reasons I decided to stay put in it. And with the Chetahuri design, everything changed. And then someone asked me one that, is there a story to the designs? I was like, yes. So because Kaima Designs is an African-inspired brand, Everything, every design had to be like African inspired, but mm-hmm. they all have to tell stories. Again, remember the whole idea was telling my story about my heritage. And so if you look at this, mm-hmm. you'll see dots on them. So each of the dots represents unique individuals. So we're all unique individuals. However, we're connected in the community, irrespective of our race, gender, or our backgrounds. And we're all so we, we live in an interdependent society where we depend on one another for our own success. And so that was the pandemic story. So I wanted it to be remarkable. So because the, the pandemic told us that, you know, isolation is not a good thing. And then the best way to get through trying times was by depending on other people, you know, in a way where we helped. We, we had to help and support one another to make the most of our lives, I think. And that's the Cheddar story. And when you think about Cheddar, what it means is remember. So every time you every time you wear this brand, it just helps to remind the wearer, you know, or the ambassador, as I used to, as I call my client, you know, because they're ambassadors to what was instead of Cheddar Hoodie, but ambassadors. So every time you wear this, you remember that you're doing something for a good cause. You are supporting a cause because you have the power to make changes. So we don't have to, again, it doesn't take big things to make changes. And so every time I ask people, I said, if you had $50 to pick a hoodie, would you buy a hoodie that's just like, you know, you wait and just fulfills the from the mall confidence yeah. look? Or yeah. do you buy one that's, in addition to what it gives to you, you know, the feeling of beauty, it serves a purpose. And so for me, that's one of the ways I've been able to promote what we do with Kaima Designs. And it's supporting a purpose locally to the people of that's Brunswick right. and locally. internationally for $50. Exactly. That's, that's pretty acceptable. That's like, you know, especially nowadays where things are just getting more and more expensive. If you can, you know, just put your $50 for your budget for clothing that month towards something that is local and supports good things. And I think it makes, you know, you're, you feel good inside. When you were talking about the uniforms for girls, can you tell us a little bit about what a difference a uniform makes for a girl? Okay. So if you're familiar with the British education system, they wear uniforms mm-hmm. as well. And so Nigeria being one of them, we adopt the British curriculum. And so what it means, like we wear uniforms to school in some cases girls children without uniforms are not allowed in school because you're not prepared to be in school because that's how you identify students from non-students mm. right however in some 
communities, you know, due to poverty, some of the parents are not able to afford the uniforms for their children, especially for the girl child, right? Where priorities are placed more on the boy child because they continue with the family legacy, the lineage and stuff like that. So the girls are like, well, why do we make this investment if she's going to be married off someday to a man? So mm. she's another man's property. Although some of these things are changing in some regions and quarters, you know, but not as fast as most people would want them to. And again, without a uniform, a girl's confidence, you know, could truly be very shattered. And so you're looking at someone who has an opportunity to excel, to, su to succeed in school, but because of that gap, they will never be able to fulfill their their full potential. So we want to be able to, so the, the difference here is we just want to make that difference so that we'll, we just want to reduce. So the way I put it sometimes, like through this program or through this campaign, we want to reduce the amount of dropouts in schools and then increase the amount of children or children that remain in school and graduate until they decide what they want to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. You co-founded United Colors of Fashion, um, which I mentioned earlier, a nonprofit with a mission to bring diverse fashion creation and style to St. John. Can you tell us more about UCOF and how it benefits the immigrant and BIPOC communities? Absolutely. So, um, again, as an... As an immigrant, one of the passions, one of my, one of my passions, is um, supporting other immigrants. And so, at the time, United Colors of Fashion was co-founded with my friend Rufina Jali. I was teaching as a link instructor with YMC at that time, and so I had clients who I wanted to help in ways that I couldn't. So I was to just be their instructor, right? But every time when they came to class, they were not coming with their full selves. You know, what that meant was they were always coming with like, yeah, um, with issues that we couldn't resolve in the classroom. So for example, sometimes they wanted jobs, they wanted to do other things. They were feeling frustrated. Some of them were going through some sort of um, mental health issues, you know, but that was not something that the academic portion would fulfill. And so every time I went home, I just kept thinking, how can I help? How can I make a difference? in addition to the academic component that we're providing for them in the classroom. And so what, what, what happened was like their male counterparts would always get other jobs, maybe like be taxi, um, become taxi drivers. Um, they could become, you know, they could be in the food industry, like, you know, do mm. skip the dishes and all of that. But the women couldn't do that because again, for obvious reasons, there were some barriers. They couldn't, so most of them, if most of them had kids to take care of at home, after work, I was like, they were really, really institutions where they couldn't. And so, and it really affected their self-confidence. And so I just kept thinking, okay, what could I do with the experience that I'd had? And so I spoke to Rufina and I said, Rufina, I think we needed to do something with this. And then she was like, what were you thinking of? I'm like, okay, what if we had something like um, a sewing a sewing hub where this woman would learn this woman would learn how to sew and then when they get the skills and then the confidence you know there's something about confidence once you've learned to do something it gives you the confidence to accomplish other things you've set you've set yourself right or to accomplish other goals and so we decided to start off start that off but we didn't want to just be a sewing hub we wanted a platform for them to also be able to showcase the designs 
at a fashion show. Neat. And so these are not things that were available because if you want them to create, there must be an end to it. So when we're done sewing, what do we do? How will people know what we created? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we decided to create United Colors of Fashion. So those students were some of the first clients we had. And then there were some of them that they were amazed at their own results because, and they were like, you know, the usual, like, oh, teacher, it's like, to me, it's like, oh, teacher, thank you so much. Because for them, they saw that they could actually get other skills by not changing anything really about their lives, you know? So it wasn't about um, the system, me. Sometimes it was just the opportunities. So what Yukov, what Yukov taught Rufina and I was that most times immigrants are just looking for opportunities to showcase their skills. We're not always looking for um, the jobs or always looking for handouts, right? Or welfare. Most times people get depressed when they have all the skills, but they have nowhere to apply them. And it becomes a source of depression or other social issues that begin to affect them. Because what, what we found out was it also improved, it helped them improve their language skills because we had people from different cult, different backgrounds, different cultures who came together to learn every Saturday. And then the instructor was a Canadian. And so she spoke to them in English. So they were, they, were, they were improving their language skills. They were improving their social skills. And so during the COVID, when people were isolated, they were not as isolated because now they had a community of learners supporting one another. And so it was truly a very successful one. So we're supposed to have, it was the pilots, it was to be a pilot program. And so we're supposed to have it for, I think, six months or so but at the end of six months the ladies wanted to continue so we had to leave it open indefinitely and so like every saturdays when they're available they all go there to continue to sew and connect with themselves that's amazing and you had mentioned too um not only your work with ucof and and co-founding that but that you were an instructor at the ymca you're also a newcomer women leadership program coordinator with Prude Inc. I love that name, by yeah. the way. Uh, can you tell us about Prude Inc.? And I, I, I did a little research too, um, at least with the Facebook page, and you know, of course, not knowing what Prude Inc. is, and I just thought it was like really interesting. You know, going back to teaching people how to sew and, and building that confidence. Prude Inc. is, you know, their latest post on Facebook was do's and don'ts of renting an apartment. I mean, who doesn't need that, right? Like, like you're really starting from basic information sharing. Um, can you tell us a little about Prude Inc. and why it's an important organization for you to be involved in? Very well. So um, as, I, as I like to put it, so when, I, when I'm not... So when I'm not working at Prude, I'm working on Kaima Designs and Yuka. So... Now, what that means is like, Prude is like my full-time, my, 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 my work at Prude is my full-time job. Mm-hmm. And what it is basically, so when you, when you hear Prude, it means pride, race, unity, and dignity through education. So it's a non-profit that's been in existence for over 41 years. Wow. And what we do basically is to help to help our clients overcome barriers. So it could be barriers to education, barriers to opportunities, whatever that could mean. So at the, at the core of what we do is education and consulting. So every, <coughs> excuse me, we provide opportunities for newcomers to learn more about cross-cultural workplaces and possible occupation so whether it's skills that have to do with their language whether they're learning to understand workplace culture whether they're trying to 
understand the community in which they live. We also provide education or training for diversity, equity, and inc inclusion for organizations who are looking to provide that services to their clients. Because again, over the last two, three years, there's been this huge focus on DEI and now um, belonging, which, which is an addition to it. So Prude is a trusted advisor to the government you know, of New Brunswick when it comes to DEI. And we work with both newcomers and Canadian-born or Canadian organizations. So at the core of what we do, we just try to help clients overcome barriers. And so my role at Prude, what it does for me basically is I help newcomers, newcomer women particularly, with leadership training opportunities. So it's a six-week training program where we provide resources to the community, resources in terms of humans. So sometimes when newcomers come into the community, they're looking for mentors, they're looking for friends, they're looking for that connection more than anything else. So through the program, we provide all of those needed resources and then continue to help them build their confidence in whatever it is they're doing. We see very highly skilled newcomers coming every every day in St. John, but there's always a gap from where they are to where they want to be. So through Prude Inc., we help bridge those, um, those gaps. And we do that through guest speaker approach. So we get members of the communities to be part of our guest speakers who come in to empower the women. And then sometimes some of them walk out of the program having mentors through those guest speakers who come in. So by the time they're done with the program, some of them are getting the kind of jobs that they want. Sometimes you see people who actually change their careers completely because now they, they thought they wanted to be in HR, for example, mm -hmm. but through the program and seeing other people and then they kind of like, oh, I think I want to do things differently. And then they begin to pursue a new course. Sometimes some of them just choose to go back to school. So it's really an, an interesting leadership program for newcomer women because at the end of the day, it just helps them it gives them that opportunity to improve their confidence to pursue the career or the, the life that they really want for themselves. And you are a mentor, I mean, not only to adults, but also students and international students, right? Which I guess they're adults too. Um, so you're helping people settle into the region, you know, into Atlantic Canada when they're done school. You're encouraging them to stay in this region um, in your opinion, you know, why is it important for international students to stay in Atlantic Canada? Hmm. You know, before I came to Canada, um, when I mentioned to people that I was going to St. John, mm -hmm. you'd be like, where is that on the map? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. People knew Toronto, Vancouver and the big cities, but not as much when it came to New Brunswick, St. John. And then. We came to St. John and we saw the beauty, the nature, the people. And then why not? Why not let other people see the potential and the beauty in the region, in the city? And so being an international student, I told you, I had my challenges. But I was able to navigate those challenges because of the support I received from those who were before me, you know, and then the community in which I lived in. And so having lived here since my graduation, the only way I could give back to the community that has supported me was to mentor other international students so that at the end of the study, should they choose to stay here, 
I want to be able to be there for them to help them so that together we can continue to improve um, the quality of lives for everyone here as well as those who would come in future. And so I find it a privilege, honestly, that I get to be someone who is helping other people stay in a city where students used to graduate and leave because there were no jobs. Yeah. So now through the programs that we run at Prude and through our partnership with other um, nonprofit organizations, we're providing resources for newcomers to come in. And then while they're job hunting, providing resources that would help them explore different options. So that at the end of the day, even if they choose to leave, they know they have all the right information and not leaving and like wishing, oh, well, this this is not in St. John or this doesn't happen in the province or anything like that. But now we want to provide all of those resources and continue to support them because it's not easy to travel thousands of miles to come to a place and then you leave after making, like, like, I, like I put it, such huge investment. As you know, most international students don't study with um, student loans. They pay everything, which they usually through their savings. And it costs more, or, right? Yeah. It would cost exactly. more for, yeah. More upfront because mm-hmm. unlike here, you know, in Canada where we have you have access to student loans, mm-hmm. we don't have that. And so if you want your investment account, you want to be able to stay in that at least reap the benefits. Get the return on your investment before you leave if you must. And so sometimes helping them explore, most of them actually choose to stay by because then it's hard to leave a place where you call home, where you already build a community of supporters and friends and you know, allies, as I choose to call it. Is there something you think that uh, the government here could do to encourage, make it easier for international students to stay in Atlantic Canada? Well, um, first of all, I must say that a lot has been done in the last six, seven years, because at the time I came in here, we had no access to a lot of um, resources that international students have today. Mm-hmm. For example, today, international students have access to some entrepreneurship programs that we didn't have access to when we came in. Then if you if you didn't have um if you didn't have your PR, you wouldn't do anything. But today, even with just study permits, work permit, people have access to some of this. So I think the government is already doing some things. And then but one thing they could do more is to continue to support because you know the word support can never be overemphasized. So I know people always have challenges at different levels. So as more as more students come in, the challenges continue to grow. So one of the best things, like always reach out to find out what its needs are. And then through agencies like Prude and um, Connection Works here in St. John, we, we provide resources, but funding could be an issue. So continued funding, it's a major one because when the funds are there, when the resources are there, it's easier for them to get the, the to have the resources they need when they need it. So funding would be the, I know most times it's always funding, but beyond that. I, I don't want to throw you a curveball with this next one, but as a mentor, is there a certain situation, a certain person, you know, you mentored, whether it was a student or an adult that stands out for you? Let me think for a second. Okay. Yes. Okay. So one of the ladies I mentored, um, she had graduated from the university, from the same MBA program, you know, She's from China. At the time she joined the Women Leadership Program at Prude Inc., her confidence level was, you know, at its lowest. And 
when she joined the program, she wasn't sure what to expect. At the end of six weeks, I was amazed at the outcome. You know, she had, she had ideas. She wanted to, she had interest in being, um, she was interested in being, um, you know, in the home care industry. She wanted to pursue a career in sales, but she didn't know how to put all of those together. Mm-hmm. But at the end of our mentorship program, she walked out with a clear idea that you could achieve anything, but you just have to do them in stages and in different phases of your life, right? And so within the first two years, she got a job as a salesperson. And then in six months, she changed jobs, you know, so she got better. Wow. She just kept improving on herself and she never took no for an answer. Just four days ago, I was called to be in attendance at an event that she had registered. So she had registered at a um, at an entrepreneurship program at the Connection Connection Works. And then she pitched her idea. I was blown away. So now her idea has something to do with providing support for seniors and other people who would need help with child minding or care for pets and all that and I was super proud when I saw her and so what that meant to me was like like I said earlier on most times we just need opportunities so this lady's case is an example of someone who has the fire in her someone who is determined to excel but she just needed the right guidance and support and so I have no doubt in my heart that in the next one year She's going to grow exponentially that I can't even recognize her when I see her on the road. And so she remains one of my biggest, um, what's it called? My biggest achievements, if I would put that, as a mentor. Because now it shows that indeed investing in other people does have its rewards. Not just for not just for the mentees, but even for the mentors. Because now what it does is, if, now, if, if I wanted to turn down the opportunity, it gets it will be turning down an opportunity to, to help someone be the best version of themselves, which is a mantra that I live by through the work that I do every day. Tell us a little about your childhood growing up in Nigeria. And, you know, was there a moment when you thought, I think I need to move away? I think I need to do something else here. Did that ever occur to you when you were growing up? Um, not at all. So, my childhood's one like uh, I'll check out with different experiences. So I had lost my father when I was seven, and um, so growing up with my mom. So she was I think it was just three of us then, myself and my two younger brothers, and then my mom, and then my uncle who had been my late father's um, favorite cousin. You know, mm-hmm. stepped in and he became like a foster dad to us. So he practically raised me my values my principles everything I would say that I knew growing up as a child you know having a a value system that I can still pass on to my kids today I learned from him you know and he's someone I I respected a lot like unfortunately he passed away when I think just before I graduated from the university and so my childhood was one that coming from an entrepreneurial background my father was an entrepreneur my mom was an entrepreneur so everything was all about entrepreneurship. And so it's not surprising that I am an entrepreneur in some 
ways today as well, right? But now still going back to the childhood, growing up, I loved my, I loved, I loved my childhood in spite of all the challenges. Mm. And then by the time I got to university and then I still wanted to stay back home in Nigeria. But again, you know, marriage brings a different trajectory and a turning mm-hmm. point in your life. And so when I got married to my husband, I decided to move to Canada. It is it wasn't something that initially I wasn't so keen on moving, but yeah. he thought it was best. And you know, surprisingly, it was his he was at the peak of his career mm. as um the the CTO, that's um chief technology officer of a telecoms company in Ivory Coast. We lived in Ivory Coast at that time. But he was willing to give up everything, you know, to bring the kids over so that we would have a new future for them here. Because again, our country, you know, just like every other country has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And everyone is always looking for better opportunities for children and all that. So at the time we came here, it was just so that they would have a better childhood that we didn't have, you know. But then growing up, it was okay. It was perfect. Of course, kids, what do we know? When you grow up and find that some things that used to be like, you know, fun, happiness, you know, are not exactly what they are. So when you live in an area of insecurity and all that, and then you can't even, you can't, you're not sure about what the next day would be or the next month would bring. Living a life in an environment filled with so much uncertainty isn't something like a lot of people could handle. And so, but one is something with more certainty. And so that was one of the reasons we chose to come to Atlantic Canada in the first place. And so when I compare my children's childhood and that of mine, by all means, you know, I prefer the childhood that they're having. But again, that comes with other challenges. Mm. But overall, it's just the generation is different. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your mother before, and I don't know how comfortable you are chatting about this, but I, I did read um, ab- about you and about your mom that she was a child bride in Nigeria. Um, can you explain to people listening that about what that means and maybe how your mother's experience affected who you are today? Absolutely. So um, she was, I think she was, she was not up to 15 when she was um, made to, she was forced into, I was just forced into marriage because she had wanted to go to school. She was a very bright woman and she was very athletic. So she enjoyed being in school. Mm. However, she couldn't be in school because her father wanted something different for her. And again, if you're coming from a very cultural background as ours, you know, where we hold our parents in high esteem, sometimes you couldn't argue, especially when they, the man she was getting married to, my father, pr- had promised he would he she would continue her education in his house, of okay. course. And again, he 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 lived up to the promise, right? And then she she went back to school, but again, after about a year, she got pregnant with me, and then that was the end of schooling for her. She couldn't complete her education because, again, one of those reasons why poverty plays a huge factor in the, I like to use the word, destinies of humans, right? When you're forced to take decisions that, that are detrimental to other humans, but because at that time, it was just the only choice that they had, you know, because if they had money, if they had the opportunities or the 
the means, maybe she would have stayed home and then she would have become who she was meant to be. But again, those are things that we don't have control over. Mm-hmm. But as she grew up, she always wanted to go back to school. So she didn't go back to school until I had my youngest child in 2010. Wow. Because she had it on her bucket list oh, nice. to complete at least her primary education. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about high school. This is like elementary. So because she had it on her bucket list to complete her elementary education, she persevered. And in 2010, when I had my youngest child, you know, she graduated from the program. I was super proud of her, you know. And so her story inspired me, you know, to create climate designs as well, because she was a living example of like what poverty could do Mm. to a child who wanted to go to school. And so that's an example of where, because the parents didn't have the means to support the children, it was easier to do other things in that case. And so every time I thought about my mom, you know, I'm like, if I could do something different for another girl, she shouldn't end up as a child bride. And so even with climate designs, we do beyond the uniforms, the uniform donation. Sometimes I reach out to individuals and we do the, um, if you go to the climate designs page, I reach out to individuals to support a girl child tuition. And I have two amazing supporters right now who are providing tuition and uniform for two girls. I don't even know. And so what it is, is, and these two girls have their stories. One of them is from a background where she's an orphan who is being raised by her grandmother. And then she was, on the day she was supposed to leave school, you know, the school proprietor saw saw her and then requested it, and requested it left her in school that the school would cover the tuition. And then they reached out to me, okay, we know you have this program. Is there a way you could support this girl's tuition? Because if she leaves school, we knew she was going to get married. And so she reminded me of my mom. And then there was another girl. And so I had to reach out to two individuals. are like, well, I have a case on my hand. Would you be able to support these two girls for me? And then they, they did. And then today, they're sponsoring the girls' education for the second year. And these are girls I've not even met, but their story resonates with my mom's story. And so these are things that I don't have to be in Nigeria to do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't even have to know that. The thing is that once there is a need, once there's a gap, we just have to find a way to fill that gap. And I'll be very honest, it doesn't cost and I'm an elect to do that. Mm-hmm. And it just cost about $110 to sponsor a girl for one year. Really? And so this is something, yeah, for just a winter jacket or something, you sponsored a girl in that school. And so I'm like, why can't I get more people to do this? But again, I think sometimes I don't do a good job of promoting and advertising that. And then I just get busy with other things. And But yes, so my mom's story inspired my business and then continues to inspire. And that was why when she passed on last August, my world was shattered because I was looking forward to bringing it over to come and see how Kaima Design has, you know, has moved on to be part of United Colors of Fashion and how her story. And I wanted her to get a chance to meet these girls, mm-hmm. but she never did because I wanted her to see what, as you would say, younger me, yeah, you know, but she never got a chance to do that. So, well, uh, it's life. And yes, and... um 
but I wanted to continue with that legacy for as long as I live, as long as Kaima Designs exists. That's a very emotional story. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that is a beautiful legacy that you're leaving behind for your mom. And I'm so thank, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Quite, quite beautiful. Um, and to know that, you know, we were talking earlier about how the, the hoodie is $50 or just spend $50 at Kaima Designs and you're supporting girls' education. But to know that it's $110, you know a year to support a girl to go to school. That's, that's nothing, you know, people, yes, people are struggling financially nowadays more than ever, but I think in the grand scheme of things, that's it, you know, that's, that's not buying a pair of sneakers once a month sort of, sort of thing. Right. Um, so now that I know more about you (laughs) and, uh, you know, and, and learning about you even before we talked, uh, I'm really not surprised that you were recognized as one of the most inspiring immigrants in Atlanta, Canada in 2023. I, I think it was well-deserved. Um, you know, you're really an inspiration to the community in Atlanta, Canada, not just St. John. How did it feel to be recognized in that moment? Hmm. Well, it's, Again, it was I I it wasn't something I expected, right? But it was truly humbling because what it meant to me was that someone someone out there was watching all along, mm-hmm. right? And then someone who thought I deserved the recognition put my name forward. So in this case, I was fortunate to meet the two people, at least two of those who nominated me, and they're two great friends who've become mentors and They've been part of the women's program, so I think they would have recognized. They, they, I think they recognized me based on my work at Prude because they saw what I was doing or what I'm doing with the women at Prude Inc. And some of them have become um, have become they were guest speakers and become mentors to some of these women. So it's like it's a community of women supporting women. So when they saw that opportunity, I think they felt it was um, an opportunity to put my name forward, and I'm truly grateful however on the other side what it means again is like more responsibility because now if you've been recognized or something <laughs> and you're like dang it i wanted the weekend it, right? off <laughs> now I've, I've got to do more so now i like now because every recognition is um, a ticket to like you know what go do some more work yeah. because you're not going to rest on the hours i'm like yeah now we've done it now we can go to bed no because if one person two persons were watching and they did that then it means more other people are watching and so we just want to be able to continue with the legacy that we're doing so but again at the end of the day like i said as um during the acceptance speech it's not more about the awardees but those who took the time to recommend or to nominate i think they are the true heroes because a lot of people go to a lot of people die you know, without ever being appreciated mm-hmm. for the things they've done. And then they ended up in their lives feeling like failures, not because they were failures, but because they were surrounded by people who never recognized the impact of what they did. And they did it until their very end, and yet they never got that recognition. And so it can be very painful to do so much, not because we're expecting anything in return, but it just feels good to know that the impact you creating the community is recognized and appreciated you know and so that's why for me it was truly humbling and um and it made such a huge a huge impression on my life because someone thought 
I, I was doing something good. I was that was worth mentioning. Thank you, Christine. And thank you to everyone joining us today for this episode of Our Guest Is. If you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe. You can find us on MyEastCoastExperience.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube. Plus, don't forget you can follow My East Coast Experience on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm Natalie Fournier. Thanks again and hope you join us for our next episode.